Welcome to Propel, a podcast by Fellowship Pacific to propel you and your ministry forward in the mission God has for you. I'm your host, Jessica Powell, and today's episode is all about leadership, specifically leading through times of intense uncertainty, such as we are in right now in 2020. To talk about this, David Harita, our regional director here at Fellowship Pacific, sat down with Brent Chapman, lead pastor of Southridge Fellowship and president of our Fellowship Pacific Regional Board. They talk all about the things that are most important for church leaders to be keeping in mind right now, as well as discussing the opportunities that have arisen out of this pandemic season. So let's get to it. Here is David's conversation with Brent Chapman. Hello, welcome to Propel Broadcast. Uh, This is David Farida. I'm the Regional Director for Fellowship Pacific. Done one of these before and uh, continuing to do them. Looking forward to things that we can share together. Today, we wanna be talking about leadership and change. Obviously, that's a very important topic for us. It's part of our daily experience within the COVID world. And it's important for us. So I hope that most of us that are listening to this would agree that leaders define their legacy usually when times are difficult rather than when they're really easy. Anybody can lead when it's easy. It's when it gets hard that that becomes, becomes an issue. I saw on Twitter actually just earlier today, because Twitter is, as we know, the source of all knowledge, a quote that said, leaders are by definition change makers. When you're called to lead, you're called to advance, move forward, improve the situation. So that might be even a real quote. We don't know. It's on Twitter. So it could be anything. But I think it is safe to say that most of us who are under 70, which is probably most everybody listening to this particular podcast, have um, not had as rapid and frequent a change in any time as of our life as much as 2020. So we've come up with new verb words like um, pandemic and bubbles and COVID and Zoom bombing and all that kind of stuff. And maybe the one we hear the most is the word pivot, part of our daily vocabulary. So whether we've wanted to or not, if we're in a leadership position, leadership and change have gone hand in hand for most of this year. Today in this podcast, uh, Brent Chapman is with me. I'm going to let him introduce himself. Other than mentioning that he fills a whole bunch of different roles attached to my life and connected to my life, most of which I would say are important, but the most important is that I consider him both a thoughtful leader and a pretty good friend. So Brent, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your leadership roles? Okay, thanks, David. Uh, What to say about myself? Well, I am happily married, although maybe Pam sometimes would disagree with that uh, for 26 uh, and a half years. I have four kids. Uh, One of them is married. Uh, Another one is getting married uh, in a few months. And so I will have two son-in-laws very quickly. And I have two grandkids. And uh, as Pam and I as of this fall became uh, parents of only young adults. So our last one graduated from high school. So uh, obviously lots of different stages of life. And um, in terms of some of the things that shaped me about myself is I was a missionary kid for a number of years as my parents were missionaries in Colombia, And then we came back to Canada and my dad continued to do what he was doing down in Colombia, and that was church planning. So I moved from being a missionary's kid to a pastor's kid, and those obviously have some formative things on in my life, which explains 
in a good way and maybe a bad way of why I am the way I am. And so, but I mentioned that because those two things were key in uh, giving me a love and a perspective for the church. And so I have in many ways been around the church and in the church for all my life. And because of being a church planting pastor's kid, I had the privilege of becoming a leader in the church at very young ages. And so leadership has always been something that's been important to me. And often uh, I've been thrust into leadership positions, whether I felt ready or not uh, to lead in those things, which is, I think, an interesting to think, thing to think through, especially during this time, because I don't think any leader was prepared for this past year in terms of what it would mean as, as being a leader. Currently, I am the lead pastor of Southridge Fellowship, which is a church in Langley, uh, British Columbia, which is about 45 kilometers outside of Vancouver. And uh, in terms of another leadership role uh, that I fulfill, I am, the fancy word is president of our regional uh, fellowship or the uh, Pacific region. It's just a fancy word for board chair. Um, and so both those are probably the biggest leadership hats that I wear currently. Okay, so we should jump right into that. Let's talk about the church first, maybe then we'll talk about the broader world a little bit and even a few personal stuff if we get a chance and have time to do it. So you lead a pretty substantial church. Southridge is 800 plus, depending on how you choose to count exactly with the exact number you come up with. And it's had to pivot regularly with the ever-changing COVID status. I was thinking about this again, and we had talked a little while ago about the 50 and patrons and the different rulings from our regional health authorities, that kind of thing. Then I saw another thing this weekend from the Fraser Health, which is our sub-region within British Columbia, that had a completely different take on that ruling. And uh, realizing again, it just keeps changing and changing and changing. In that, you've had to lead staff. And the reason we thought of you for this podcast is because you gave them some pretty simple directives. I think it was three. I'm not sure if I got the number right on things that they're going to have to grapple with and um, become comfortable with in this year as you try and deal with change. So why don't you tell us what those directives are and why you chose those for your staff? Okay. I, I can't remember. It was during the summer, and I can't remember if I read it somewhere or it was a podcast I was listening to. I just, there was a phrase that caught my attention that as leaders during this time, we can't provide certainty in the sense that we can't give people certainty about what tomorrow looks like. But the one thing we can do is provide clarity. And I took that to mean that we can provide a pathway forward chart a course and whether we're right or wrong on some level it doesn't matter because you as you're walking you discover uh whether it's working or not and you have to make adjustments and so at the end of august when we kind of all the staff came back from vacations we sat down and, with the staff uh, my executive pastor paul and i and we just said hey guys we need to narrow our focus we need to focus on a couple of things and let that give us clarity in terms of how we're going to move forward. And so we started with the two values that we thought were important for our staff to really hang on to. And the first one was the value of relationship. During this time when you know people are lonely, people are isolated, 
uh, we felt that if we could really focus on relationships, it would really help our staff and really help our church to move forward. And then the second one after that was flexibility. And so those kind of the flexibility piece, as we looked at it and we realized flexibility implies the ability to have resilience uh, because of all the changes we've been going through. It implies the ability to uh, take risks and even allow for mistakes. And so when we use that word, those words, relationship and flexibility, that's kind of what we were trying to uh, talk about. And then we said, okay, those are our two values that we're really gonna try and hold on to over this next season. How do we live that out? What's the focus of those two values? And we had a strategy of three things. We're gonna focus on our small groups, we're gonna focus on gatherings, and we're gonna focus on our leaders in the church. And up to that point, we had been uh, doing we had been encouraging our community groups uh, to gather when they could. And uh, when it first started uh, the pandemic, it was over Zoom. And then during uh, the summer, like May, as soon as our health officer kind of allowed things to free up a bit, uh, May, June, July, August, we encouraged our community groups to meet outside and many of them did. But we, as we came into the fall, we realized we needed something a little bit more uh, structured a little bit more proactive. And so the gatherings component of it, uh, we renamed partway through micro churches. And so we started doing a, a strategy to bring our people together because what we found was over the summer, the feedback we got was that people were missing really two things, uh, community and the ability to get together and, and worship together. They were doing it at home, watching you know, us online but it just wasn't the same. And so that's, you know, we said small groups, gatherings, which was bigger than just our small groups, up to 50 people. And then we were gonna focus on our leaders because we knew that regardless of what we did, unless we could uh, look after our leaders and our leaders were on board with what we were trying to do to move forward, we would never get the whole church around us in that. So those were kind of the, the three things on strategy and the two values that we really paid a lot of attention to. Okay, so you had your normal small group stuff, although COVIDized, that's a word I just made yeah. up, COVIDized, then you had the micro churches, which were up to 50, and then you had to focus on leaders. So what did you do to focus on leaders, since this is a leadership sort of yeah, oriented so, project? Yeah, um, so with our leaders, uh, we, we went to our staff, because most of our staff oversee most of the leaders in our church, and we just said, okay, you guys need to be connecting with them every couple of weeks. And we need you to move beyond just emailing them. We need you to move beyond just texting them. We need you to have like talk on the phone and have face-to-face -face conversations. Uh, and so that was one of the steps. The other thing we had uh, like in terms of our normal cycle of planning, we usually have a leadership summit for our leaders in September or the end of August. And so as we debated whether we should follow through with that, we decided to continue doing it. We had to make some changes obviously to be COVID friendly uh, and keep spaces, but we went ahead with that. And, and the reason we went ahead with that was because it was part of our strategy was to connect with our leaders. And so we had a, we had a great turnout. We had about 60 of our leaders turn out uh, to that. And we were able to talk to them about what the fall was gonna look like. And at that point we were talking to them about launching micro churches uh, and get them in, uh, engaged with that and then answer questions and that kind of thing. And then in terms of the other piece of the leaders, because microchurches was a strategic vision piece for us, 
I ended up meeting with all our community group leaders, which are leaders that, that lead all our uh, groups that have men and women in them. Uh, and, um, and just talk to them about our vision for microchurch and to see whether they would be able to be a part of that or not. And so I spent, you know, about a month meeting with, it ended up being about 20 leaders, uh, over that time. And, uh, and part of what I was talking to them is I was sharing them our two values, uh, relationship flexibility. I was sharing them with our strategy of focusing on small groups, gatherings, microchurches, and them. And then I told them that, one other piece strategically that we had decided to do is we were looking at our calendar in three months chunks. And so when the COVID hit uh, right off the bat, we told our church we would make decisions based on two week windows because things were changing so fast. We said, okay, two weeks, this is what we're doing for the next two weeks. And then we would come up and then say, this is what we're doing for the next two weeks. And then we realized that we were going to be in this long term. We, two weeks would be too hard to continue to manage we needed to help people know what was coming up ahead and to be able to at least plan a little bit that way. And so we moved to more of a three month window. And so we did, you know, June, July, August as a window and then September, October, November as a window. Uh, and so we're into that. And so we just made promises with our leaders that this is what we're going to try and do for the next three months. Uh, and then we'll come back and, and we'll talk about what the next three months looks like. Although December we're treating as a month alone and then we'll look at January, March. So the idea of windows, I think, is a really good one for you know, anybody to use. I have been wondering a little bit, you had mentioned that to me, I don't know, way back when, a while back uh, we, when we were talking about this. Do you think three months is going to work for you going forward when you've got the increase in that second surge with COVID that you've got now? It seems like three months is a world away. That might, that might give you a hint of what I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting because we our three-month window we're in right now is ends in the end of November. And, I mean, we've got one month left of that window. And then we, we purposely set December as its own window because December's Christmas. It's just a unique month of the year. And so, in essence, for December, we've gone to a one-month window. Uh, and I think... And my promise to our microchurch leaders was that I would come back to them in December, see how they were doing, see how the people they were leading were doing, and look at what January to March would look like. And uh, we actually only asked our microchurch leaders to commit to leading their microchurch from September to uh, the middle of December. And so it was a, hey, we're asking this time frame from you. Uh, and we'll come back and talk to you. And, and if we think we need to do microchurch the way it is right now, January to March, we'll ask for a recommitment to do that. And you can say no, or you can say, hey, I'll, I'm in for another three months kind of thing. So you're applying the windows even to leaders. Yeah. With some parameters around that. Yeah. So um, continuing on that same kind of idea, I was reading paper this morning and uh, listen to some of the health experts saying they expect an approved vaccine late 2020, early 2021 at the latest, uh, but not enough of it would be distributed to make a difference, an impact on the general population till summer at the earliest, maybe even three quarters of the way through the year, hard to say. Anyway, then I read another article, which was a different person, different experts saying it could be sooner, and another article that said it could be way later, you could be looking 2022, just all in the same day, three different health experts, three different answers. So lots of ideas about what the immediate, the long-term future holds for the church and for leaders in the church. Uh, we know that makes 
planning difficult. We know it makes it dangerous for some churches, particularly smaller churches, all those kind of things. What do you think is the most important thing for church leaders to be thinking about when it's this uncertain? Uh, I don't know. I would probably say a couple of things. I think, and I would go back to it, I think as a church leader during uncertain times, you have to try and help your church with the whole clarity piece. Like, what are we doing next? And so it's just, hey, this is the next step forward. And it might not be the right step. We, you, we can never guarantee that. But I think it's about the path forward, uh, taking into account all the things that, that are going on. But it's just, we're going to head in this direction. And, and as long as the church understands, or hopefully you are evaluating constantly, and, they, and you have the trust of the church because they know you're trying to do your best, and to lead them in the best way, I think that's probably the piece that I would hold on to is you need to try and provide clarity for your church in terms of direction. And then tied with that, you know, for us, it's all about the mission of the church. It's about our vision, you know, the things of being looking outward, being outward focused, and also discipleship. Those two pieces never change, even during a pandemic. It's just how they get accomplished has to change. And so that path forward has to account and take into account that we are still, as a church, turning outward into our community, turning outward to the neighbors who live beside us, but also the discipleship. We're still expected to grow in our relationship with Jesus during this time. And so as a church, how do we help our people do both those things? Okay, so um, let's turn that a little bit. So not just what you're thinking about relative to the church. So you mentioned clarity and mission, big Two big things for a leader to be thinking about. What things, if any, um, this is kind of internal, so maybe it's harder to answer for a deeply feeling man like yourself, but we'll try anyway. So thing, what things need to change for the leader themselves internally? So I'm not really asking about changes in the church, like online presence, or even about uh, giving clarity, which is obviously necessary, but leadership itself. What aspects come to the forefront? What's become new to you that's been more evident? Things that have changed in you and you think probably have to change for other leaders as we continue on through COVID? I would, I would say that one of the bigger change is uh, the need to be resilient. Um, and that ties into that flexibil flexibility value that I was talking about, but that whole resilient because I've noticed so many times you're making plans, you're hoping to move forward. And then all of a sudden something outside your control changes the, the playing field. You know, you have new rules and you spent, you know, two weeks getting ready for the rules you thought you had. And now you have entirely new rules and how to play the game. And you've got to come up with another plan and you have to have it in the next couple of days or, or by tomorrow, because you got to let the church know. And so that whole resiliency thing, I think is a huge thing right now. And um, I think some guys, some leaders, some women do it better than others. And I think some are really struggling right now. And I think it's partly leading to a lot of the burnout or fatigue that people are having right now is because they haven't been able to figure out that resilience piece. And part of that resilience for me is um, as much as I love planning and as much as I think strategically over, you know, over a year, 
uh, you have to hold your planning pretty loosely right now because right? because of all the changing. So you still have to make your plans. You still have to think, okay, this is what we're trying to accomplish, but that becomes very loose. And it was a conversation I had with our board quite early on because we, we do strategic initiatives every year uh, where we say, okay, here's the plan for the year. And we do that in June uh, and for the following, you know, for, for the next year. And I just said to the, our board, I said, okay, here's the plan, but you guys got to really hold this loosely because it'll change. I'm, I can guarantee it'll change. So I would say resiliency is probably one of the biggest things. Yeah, it's interesting from my role with the broader fellowship, resiliency is a big thing. And I would, I guess I would add, everybody's not created equal in this. And by that, I don't mean better or worse, but I think our basic character, some people that's more natural to others, it's harder for uh, people who are more melancholy by basic nature, find this kind of thing extremely difficult. So it sort of seems unfair if you're wired for it, it's way easier than if you're not. And uh, this has kind of just brought that to the surface. You know, you get that in so many different fronts in church. I hear probably from every church leader I've got that it really doesn't matter what decision they make, what plan they implement, whether it's got windows or no windows, change or no change, mask or no mask, spacing or no spacing, that they get hammered from the church. There's, you know, half the church like it, half the church hate it, it really doesn't matter. And so it, it's pretty hard. Yeah, and definitely that whole conflict piece is huge, right? Because change brings conflict. It, they're tied together and we've been going through so much that, uh, you, that you have to be able to understand that the conflict's just there all the time now. Yeah, happens. So here's, here's another quote. So it's attributed to Socrates. It says, the secret to change is the fo to focus all of your energy, not in fighting the old, but in building the new. So from Socrates, the secret to change is to focus all of your energy, not in fighting the old, but in building the new. So two things on that. First one is this. I did, in fact, fact check the quote. And it is actually Socrates. That's the good news. The bad news is it isn't the Socrates you think of. It's a fictional character in a book called The Way of a Peaceful Warrior. So, so much for quotes. Just, just to say, always fact check your pastor when he makes a quote. Google it. That's all there I'm saying. Can you so, actually have a peaceful warrior? Isn't that a I don't know. I'm yeah. telling you it's the name of the book. I don't know. Okay, okay yeah. here's the second thing. Regardless yeah. of who actually made the quote, um, there is some truth that you have to live with the new instead of always fighting the old. So what are the opportunities for building the new during COVID? What are some things that you think of not just as here's that things we have to be resilient through, we have to focus on, so you need clarity, you need mission, you know those things, but what are the opportunities for those things to actually happen? Um, I think for, I mean, this is probably an over talked about thing but the whole online thing and we don't need to get into it but that you know that was a huge opportunity uh to think through that and we've definitely had a lot of thinking around that at Southridge and we've had to change uh throughout uh this COVID period in terms of how we actually did our presence online we moved from a broadcasting a live service to a pre-recorded uh service and that, and it took resources to make that change and different thinking and let me interrupt you for a second because yeah. I did anyway. So um, stop on that one. We'll come back to that. Keep the flow going on that conversation. But you went kind of the opposite of what a number of churches have done. So a number of churches started with pre-recording 
and we're trying to get online live servicing. You went from live to pre-recorded. So why did you make that direction rather than the other? Uh, you know, the biggest one, well, there was two things. One, the biggest one was our uh, audio quality. It just sucked <laughs> live. <laughs> and it violates our basic principle of church. Yes, it just, it was terrible. And it was frustrating people who were listening. It was totally frustrating our worship team because they were taking the brunt of it. They wouldn't even want to listen to their own, the stuff they were putting out. It was so bad. And so we, we realized a couple of things. We actually ended up having to buy a new sound system because our sound system was outdated and couldn't handle the online uh, needs that we would need. And even looking forward to that day when that magical day when we can actually have more than 50 people on site, uh, we knew that we'd have to have a way better online uh, uh, service then than we do now. And so it had to be able to handle both live uh, service and online service. And so that was the probably the, one of the biggest reasons was we it just sucked. And so it, it, it was hard to admit that, but we finally got to the place that we did. Uh, and then the other piece that with the online, it gave us a little more flexibility to try different things uh, in terms of a prepackaged piece. Uh, and so we actually changed our service. Like our normal service would be about 75 minutes. Um, and now our online service is about 45 minutes. We shrunk the length of the message down. We shrunk how much worship we're doing during this, the, uh, like uh, music wise. And then we added a, a, a novel thing for us anyways. At the end of the message, we end the service with three or four questions that we ask people to discuss in their homes or if they're watching it as a small group to discuss and it's all related to the message and uh and that and we that we've had some amazing feedback from that with people saying how they've interacted with it and there's a there's a big push within some of our staff who say hey we need to keep this when we actually get back to meeting together this whole interactive piece uh even when it's live so we're, we're thinking through that if, to see if that might be something we we change in terms of when we get back to meeting together Okay, so that's, I think, good to know because some of the people who are listening to this, um, maybe it goes a little broader than Fellowship Pacific, we hope so, but not necessarily. So within our own family of churches, at least, uh, there's a lot of people pushing away from the recordings that it might give them some freedom to ask what could they do with the recording that they weren't able to do in a live feed. Anyway, so that's one opportunity. What are some other opportunities you see for churches that grow out of COVID? I think the biggest one um, that we're just starting to realize is the impact of what micro church is having on our church. Um, and currently we have 18 micro churches meeting and they are anywhere from 10 to almost 50 in size. And it only represents about 45% of our church family. So it's, it's not like everybody, but it's a good significant, but the feedback we've been getting from those groups or many of those groups is um, they realize that what they're doing now was not the same if they were in our community groups before that. It's not the same as it is now. And there is a difference uh, to when they get together. And, and in part, it's because they're watching the service uh, from the Sunday and some of them meet on Sunday mornings, but some of them are, are some of our micro churches are Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night uh, that they're meeting, but they're watching the service. Uh, and it's just the feel that they have that they feel like the church 
as opposed to part of the church who was meeting during the week if they were doing community groups. And so we're starting to think through what does that mean for us moving forward uh, and how will that potentially impact? Because all our micro churches are doing communion. All our micro churches are, are, and our hosts that are leading them are becoming way more like pastors shepherding people than they, that than many of them were beforehand when they were just leading a community group that met uh, during the weekend time. So we're still kind of at the initial stages of that. And our micro churches have only been meeting for about five weeks. So we're still in a, in a grand learning curve uh, as to what this looks like and the future impact on us. Oh, there I was muted. That didn't, it's probably the best part of the podcast. So nevertheless, <laughs> we'll move we on. can insert animal we, sounds right there. We can insert some yeah, animals. We're not doing animal sounds in this oh, okay. podcast. Front. So oh. uh, one of the things that used to be talked about when they talked about church growth in the old church growth days, they talked about uh, groups and congregations and churches, and they had this middle-sized thing. So it's kind of like a shot to the past, even when we're talking about micro churches within an existing church, which is very different than a microchurch network. But so you're kind of reforming those congregation sized things. And it's kind of interesting to see how much people are liking them or feel like they missed them. Yeah. And I mean, one of the discussions we've had is even when we go back to having the ability to everyone come on a Sunday, there may be some micro churches that we continue to have uh, that may not show up at the building on Sunday. And, they, and that would be some discussion of, you know, what, do the leaders want to carry this on? Do the people there want to be part of that? And so we could end up having a multiplied model of where we're meeting, uh, you know, moving forward. So that's one of the discussions we're having about potentially the impact of these microchurches on us. I think there's just a whole lot of questions that I hope we don't lose when COVID's over, things about worship and what it means to worship, whether that's a big band in a big room or there's something much more um, inherently internal about it in a smaller group, whether what discipleship looks like, there's just a whole lot of questions. So it's interesting, but I think we need to grasp those opportunities. So let me move from that to fellowship wide, just a couple of questions. So one of the things Brent mentioned to us at the beginning of this podcast is he serves as lead pastor at Southridge. He's also the president of Fellowship Pacific, which means he's the chair of our board. And you're kind of in a unique position, actually, in this whole podcast. You're my pastor and my board chair as well. So specifically, because I go to your church, what are some things you would want to say to board chairs about their role as leaders through COVID? So what do you think you need to provide as a board chair in a fellowship? if you spend any time thinking about that at all? Uh, well, if it was board chairs for churches, and I mean, even in my role as board chair of the fellowship, I think uh, one of the key things right now for board chairs is to make sure they're monitoring the, you know, the health of their lead pastor and even the rest of the staff to make sure they know what's going on. And, and that's not just, you know, that's spiritual, mental, emotional health because of the challenges that we face and the fatigue that often comes with these challenges. So I would say that monitoring, you know, the employee's health is really important uh, because no one else is going to do that. Uh, right. And then second, I would say 
if I look at it from my perspective as lead pastor to the board that I have, uh, one of the big pieces that I need from our board is uh, just to know that, that I have their support and that they'll stand behind me because as we talked earlier in the, in the podcast, change brings conflict and there is more and more conflict going on uh, because whatever you end up doing, no one, you never get a hundred percent happy. You get a few happy, you get a few mad and you get a few, you know, shrugging their shoulders. And so I think that support from the board is a huge piece uh, for the staff, knowing that they have their support, but also it goes beyond just that. I think there, this is uh, the opportunities, which we just talked about. I think there's a lot of opportunities to take risks and try new things. And with that, taking risks also means that you're going to fail. And so as, as a pastor, I want to have, you know, the board that I, that oversees me have my back and, and know that they're not going to get upset if a risk, if we take a risk and it doesn't work out as, as well as we thought, or just to be free to take a risk and try things we've never even thought or talked about in the past. And I think that's the other way for my, if I put my chair of board hat on is what are, what risks can, you know, can we take? And in tied with that is never to still not lose sight of the mission. Like our, what are we, how are we trying to accomplish our mission and our vision through this time? And I think that's a good question that a board chair can ask, you know, the pastor uh, is okay, all this going on, but we still got a mission and vision to accomplish. So how are we doing this? Like, how are you leading us in, in helping us fulfill these things? So those would be the kind of things I would look at. So kind of goes back to what you said earlier, clarity, mission, and you added kind of support, which is really that relationship part you looked at with your own staff right from the very beginning. So it's a pretty consistent message. So is there any other aspects of leadership that you think are important to those who lead in a broader sphere beyond just a single church? So um, if you had your board hat on and you were talking to our regional board and you're saying, hey, David, here's what you need to know if you're going to lead beyond this. This is what we need you to do. Is there anything different from what you've already said? Um, I think just generally one other leadership thing that I'm learning uh, during this time is to, to really try and find data over assumptions. I think we, and you get and as you alluded earlier, you look at three articles, they'll tell you three different things about when a max vaccine is coming. And I think many leaders, and I find myself doing this too, there are, there are leadership decisions I make that I just make from my gut. Cause you know, I've been leading for, you know, 20 or 25 years. And I go, I just know this is the right way. This is the right decision to make. And yet I have found that some of my assumptions aren't always true. And I just had a board retreat with our board in this past weekend. And there were some comments made by board members that were assumptions. And because I had some data, I looked at them and I said, you know what? I don't think your assumption is right. And so I think during this time of uncertainty, it's more important uh, now to really work hard at trying to figure out some data. And whether for me, when I talk about data, I mean, finances, it's easy to get debt concrete data when you're talking about giving and all that kind of stuff. But I think the data that I'm talking about has to do with talking to people in the church has to do with doing some polls in the church. Like if you're trying things, so we've taken some polls in our church at different times when we've been looking at making decisions because we have an assumption of how our people feel or what they'll do, 
But until we get some, at least some data from a poll, we can't be certain that what we are is, is correct. And so we're looking, so one of the things we're looking at in December is actually having a live service where we will have a live speaker and live worship. And so we have not done any of that. And we, I have an assumption that that's something people are really desperately desiring right now because they haven't had it or won't have had it for nine months. And I'm going, okay, I think people will come to that because it'll be a Christmas Eve service, a one-off where they can sign up, come, they'll, you know, they'll listen to a speaker, they'll have people actually leading them in worship live. And people are, are desperate for that, I think, right now. And, but it's a, my assumption. So as Paul and I were talking about, okay, we need to actually pull people in our church. Would you come to a Christmas Eve service that has a live speaker and live worship? And, and even have as part of that poll, even if the numbers, uh, our COVID numbers go crazy over the next month, would that change how you feel about that? Or would you say, no, I'm coming? Now, my assumption is if based on past numbers at, of our church, we'll get 30% back, we'll say, I'm coming regardless. I don't care. I'm just going to come. I need this. I want this. Another 30% will say, hey, we might come as long as you tell us what exactly is taking place. You know, how are you keeping us safe? And then the last 40, you know, 20% will say, no, I'm not coming at all. And then the other 20 will just say, I don't know. I'm not sure. And so that's my assumption. But until we take that poll, we don't know. And we may actually use the response from that poll to determine what we actually do for a Christmas Eve service, whether we hold it or not. But again, that's data over assumptions. And I think that's the hard thing these days is it's hard to get data, but you need it because otherwise you're just using assumptions to make decisions. I think that's a generally good leadership principle, which is test your assumptions and actually be able to clarify what the assumptions are versus what's actually fact. Because I think often we don't even go that far to say, ask ourselves, is this what I know to be true or is this just an assumption? Then test it, whether it's polling or however you do it. So good idea. So we're going to end this off. I'm just going to ask you sort of personally relative to this. You've been in leadership a long time. Uh, you've even had your own sort of health struggles over the last couple of years that come into come to bear on that. But lots of leaders that I talk to, pretty much actually every leader I talk to, has gotten tired from COVID or Zoom fatigue. And I find it a very weird time overall in that there seems to be a feeling that there's less to do because you can't go visit people in your church. You aren't putting on your normal Sunday service, you're not speaking at three services, you're not doing whatever the things are that you normally do. It feels like you should be doing less, and yet leaders are far more tired than they were. So do you find that that's true for you? And what do you do to mitigate against that? So what advice would you give to leaders who are experiencing it, which is pretty much any leader who's listening to this? Uh, yes, it is definitely true for me. Um, although I would say I'm not totally zoomed out because we moved away for whatever reason, our staff, we brought back in in house. And so and everyone was willing to do that. So we ended up stopping like staff zoom meetings, probably by June. And so we've been a lot of in person stuff, which has been awesome. Uh, but definitely this whole piece has been tiring. Um, and I would say I have more work to do now than I had before. And I use the illustration with people that say, hey, well, how's that possible? I go, well, think about it this way. In a, on a Sunday, if I'm at a Sunday, we run two services. 
I'm there for four, four and a half hours. I can talk to 30 or 40 people. And a lot of the, a lot of times those are strategic conversations and they can be, you know, five minute, 10 minute conversations and we're done and we're set up for the week. Now to talk to that same amount of people, it takes me anywhere from eight to 12 hours to get a hold of them, uh, have them. And they are never just 10 minute conversations. They're like 20 minute, half an hour conversations. So to do the same amount of work, I have to actually spend more time doing it. Um, that's just the tiredness side. For me, I just make sure that I try and have some breaks. And so I made sure that over the summer, I took my normal summer vacation time. Uh, this fall, I actually, you know, just got a couple of weeks ago, I was away for, you know, just over uh, almost two weeks uh, off. And in part, I can do that. We have a really good staff here. I have a great teammate in Paul as the executive pastor. And so I'm not worried about leaving at that moment. I have full confidence in the team that I have to make decisions that I might normally make, but they make while I'm gone. And so to me, it's that rest piece of getting away. Um, it has really been weird because our my week has changed. Normally, I would take Mondays off. And now I take uh, I work Monday to Friday uh, in the office. And then Saturday, Sunday, I have off, although I lead a micro church. So I'm doing stuff on Sunday. Uh, so it's been really, uh, I mean, 20 years of having Mondays off and then changing has been different. So I've had to find a new rhythm in terms of my week. Um, but I find that I definitely take moments during the week that I'm not thinking anything church-wise. I'm doing a bit more reading, and it's not leadership reading. It's just other reading that has no connection to church, often fiction that just takes my mind away from the, the problems that are always going on or the solutions I'm trying to find and just gives my brain a break. Uh, I definitely, actually, I found that Pam and I have been walking more uh, especially this time of year. Uh, we've had some decent weather. We've been walking way more in the evenings than we have uh, in the past few years. And so that's been a good, just a connecting time with her, a good time to just, you know, and it builds that home, that home base even stronger. And so a couple of those things, but definitely I've been imp impacted, I think, like every other leader. So basically look for new rhythms, try and create a different kind of rhythm that's sustainable. Um, besides your normal days off vacations, take those, but also try and create your own little mini vacations within that in some degree, whether it's reading something different, going for walks, just whatever you can do for that. Yep. Yeah, I think we've all got to kind of discover that for ourselves, but I don't know that we're all <laughs> discovering it really well. It's every time COVID switches again and we have a new world, we kind of re redo our rhythm. So yep. it's an interesting odd world. Anyway, Brent, thanks for taking this time with us. Appreciate it. Uh, appreciate you very much. Certainly you've been a support to me, to good leadership on our regional board and to our staff. We value you a lot and as a pastor and a friend as well. So thanks for giving us this time. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I hope you found this conversation helpful and encouraging. We know that this is a challenging time for all leaders, and we want you to know that our team here at Fellowship Pacific is here for you. So reach out to us at any time. To find contact information for anyone on our team and to find out more about the resources we have available, visit our website at www.fedpacific.ca.